Welcome back. Impact is on here from the studios of Impact 89 FM in the basement of Holden Hall. Luke Sloan, Brennan Shabath, no Trent today. A little bit under the weather this evening, but it is episode three of the 2021 season, and we are back after a little bit of a Thanksgiving hiatus. Brendan, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever time anybody's listening to this podcast. We're recording at night, but for you, good evening. How are you doing today? Good evening to you as well, sir. It is uh, currently 8.29 Eastern Standard Time. Tuesday, so a beautiful Tuesday. Evening is, the, uh, evening is the applicable, whatever you want to call it, but yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, I was a little bit under the weather about a week ago, now it's Trent's turn. It seems like everybody's kind of dealing with it here in this city. Thankfully, not COVID from anybody that I've heard. I yes. didn't have COVID. Trent is pretty sure his is not COVID, so hopefully he can be with us uh, tomorrow for this big game for Michigan State, taking on the Cardinals. The podcast has undergone quite a bit of attrition over the years. Last year, we had a run when I got COVID and couldn't do the podcast. You got mono, you got COVID. Trent had a throat infection, so hopefully... Fingers crossed we don't have a run similar to that this year because that would really stink. But nevertheless, Brendan and I are here. We're ready to talk some hoops. It's Tuesday evening in East Lansing. Wherever you're listening, it's Wednesday or Thursday or whatever day you're listening in. But there is a big one tomorrow night just down the road at the Breslin Center. Michigan State versus Louisville in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. But a lot has happened since the last time we recorded and since the last time Brendan was on the podcast. We had a trip to New York City. We had a trip to Hinkle Fieldhouse in beautiful Indianapolis, Indiana, our second trip already to Indiana this year. Two fantastic places. And Thanksgiving happened as well, which is a fantastic time for college hoops. But New York, Hinkle Fieldhouse, we've been treated to some fantastic places to watch basketball this year. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, we've got more coming up too. Michigan State's got a game at Little Caesars Arena taking on Oakland. Beautiful uh, arena. In about a week, you know, we've got that coming up. Big Ten play is starting. Minnesota's the first road game. We've got February, you and I talked about before the podcast, is just jam-packed. They've got Maryland and Rutgers back-to-back. Then they go to Penn State the, the following week. I mean, we might be bouncing around the country following this team. The holidays as well is something that's on everybody's mind right now. Thanksgiving yeah. is a great time for hoops. I, I had so much fun the past week and a half so watching did I. college basketball because – not only is like you know it's the holidays that's fun you get to be with your family and hang out. College football's at its peak, you know, running down to the end of the season. Obviously, you've got NFL Sunday and then Thanksgiving NFL football. Hot take: NBA Christmas is better than NFL Thanksgiving. Wow, Just that saying. is a very very hot take. Yeah, it is. The but I'm also a Lions fan, so I have a little bit of bias against. NFL football to, on Thanksgiving. To to counter your point, but also agree with it a little bit. I would say that the the sexiness of Thanksgiving and football and kind of the the peanut butter and jelly aspect of those two things being synonymous is probably what football on Thanksgiving has going for it. But to your point, NBA Christmas Day, not only are we getting Clay Thompson back on Christmas Day this year, but the matchups on NBA Christmas Day are a hell of a lot better they, than the Thanksgiving football matchups. The NBA patronizes all of its fans on Christmas Day, and I love it because they pick the games that people want to watch. They pick the rivalries. They pick the storylines, which as they should, you know. But I will say sexiness, I think, might be a little bit wrong word for Thanksgiving. I feel like it's more like tradition and like you feel – Fat and ugly after eating Thanksgiving yes. food and, and, and then you watching go watch the... football. But Christmas is like you open presents. It's exciting. There's snow. Basketball, I think, is, you know, it's this fluid artistic sport. That's where I think 
of the two, that one should get the sexiness title. But you can uh, you can fill yourself with fattening Thanksgiving foods, and yeah. then the uh, the extra gut punch is uh, watching the Lions lose for a what fifth consecutive consecutive I think year it, isn't on it up Thanksgiving. To, isn't it up to eight now? On oh Thanksgiving? my Thanksgiving! I don't know what it I, is. I, don't, but... I, I just want to forget. We have a special message from Trent though. Trent says, "Merry Christmas, boys." He commented on our podcast document, and even though Trent cannot be here today, he's in the studio in spirit. Yes. He's, he's right alongside us in this chair over here. And thank yeah. you for saying Merry Christmas. Yeah. My, Merry Christmas to you, Trent. My entire apartment is completely decked out. I have a little mini tree. I put oh, up are some you, lights. Are you a decorator? I, I'm definitely a decorator. When it comes to Christmas, you know, I saw on Trent's Snapchat story, we got a lot of snow the last couple of days here in East Lansing. He made a snowman with a lion's hat and a Miller Lite can. Oh. So he's getting into the holiday spirit. Yeah. I had some hot cocoa last night. I'm, I'm going... Are you... Wearing an ugly Christmas sweater to class or uh, playing Christmas music. You, you got to contribute here to the, the group I effort. I don't know how you knew that, but I am a huge ugly sweater guy. That's I, I love that. I believe since my freshman year of high school, because in high school at U of D, we had the dress code and we always had to dress nice. Shirt, tie, pants, shoes, you know, all the, uh, you know. No all tennies. The all the bells and whistles. Yes. And come Christmas time, I thought, how fun would it be on like the last day of the the semester before Christmas break at school to wear like a, an ugly sweater and not just like an ugly Christmas sweater, but I, I still like to make them still look good, you know? So I have one that's just like snowflakes and another one is really ugly. It's a bunch of emojis. And another one is Santa riding an eagle and it says America and at the bottom wow. an expletive that I can't say right now. Patriotic um, and festive. Yeah. But so I, since my freshman year of high school, I have bought a new ugly Christmas sweater every single year. So now I am up to six because I lost one. I should be at seven. But one of them either outgrew or I lost. I can't remember what it was. But my most recent one was a Michigan State ugly sweater. And now I'm on the quest to get an ugly sweater for every sports team in the state of Michigan, excluding the Wolverines. And like that's not a bad. Like call. I'm not gonna find a Western Michigan ugly sweater, but I want all the all the four Detroit teams in a Michigan state. One of these episodes here in the future, maybe when 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 Trent comes back, we can do a, an ugly sweater or Christmas apparel themed impact is own. I I'm there's like, no video aspect to this podcast yet. We yet is a, is a big word there. But yeah. hey, why not take a quick photo of us in our sweaters? I also might wear an ugly sweater to a game. That'd I was be... going to do that last year because they played on Christmas. The Christmas I was gonna wear... fit. Yeah, I was going to wear. You got sick, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. I, I had, that's when I had mono. I got I got diagnosed with mono on Christmas Eve 2020. You know, you have you have one more bullet point in here as we just kind of go back and forth between we get into, before we get into the actual basketball, how to pronounce Louisville. Now, I've always kind of known it as Louisville. There haven't been a ton of people in my life that have pronounced it any other way than just Louisville. Really? You know, kind of. Exclude the I and the S and add a Y, Louis, Louisville. I, I usually say Louisville. Obviously, this is who Michigan State is playing Wednesday, so this is relevant to the podcast. Correct. But you put this down probably because there's been differing accounts of how to spell the Cardinals' home city of origin. Yeah, and I, it kind of came to mind when I heard you first say Louisville because you are a Louisville person and I am a Louisville Person. That is going to be that is going to make for for an interesting broadcast. We we should night. we should get this sorted out before tomorrow. Louisville or Louisville? You know, I can go either way. Just as can, long as I can too. I like I as understand long as it's not both. Louisville, then yeah. no one would tune in because yeah. they would disrespect you're one us. of those Illinois people. Louisville or Louis or Louisville? Louisville or Louisville? I just feel like it's def to me. It's Ville because it's Louis 
Like if you if you split the word in two, it's Lewis and Ville, V-I-L-L-E. If you were to look at that alone, you would say Ville. And L-O-U-I-S can be pronounced Lewis or Louie, but it's not Lou, right? For some for whatever so that's reason. Where, where I, I'm not saying you're wrong. No, I you agree. could be correct. I don't know the proper pronunciation, but that's where just my brain breaks that word down into Louisville. For whatever reason, my brain and my body producing the word Louisville. For some reason, I have a hard time a with like the Y and the V. Louisville. Louisville is more fun to say. Louisville. Yeah. But we'll figure it out. Yes. We'll get on the same page. Obviously, WDBM East Lansing, 88.9 FM in the Lansing area, and impact89fm.org slash listen live. Stream it. Not only this Wednesday at 7 o'clock for the Louisville game, but coming up on Saturday, the Toledo game, 5 o'clock. Two broadcasts this week, a ton of coverage to come. But we'll dive into some Michigan State basketball. Since the last time we took the airwaves, they've played a, a couple of games. They play, they won at Butler. The Spartans also won at home against Eastern Michigan. And then obviously the battle for Atlantis, which we're going to dive into pretty thoroughly. But all of us predicted a win against Butler. All of us predicted a win against Eastern Michigan. So we don't really need to focus on those games all too much because they were a while ago, and this is a relevant podcast. But I guess the one thing I'd say about the Eastern Michigan and Butler stretch is that Hinkle Fieldhouse was absolutely stunning. Phenomenal. It was one of the best places we've ever called a game easily in our lives, and it will remain that way. Talk about a place it, dripping in history. That lived up to every one of you Trent and I's expectations. Yeah, it is a basketball barn in every sense of the word. And I love it. And Bar- barn takes nothing away from that place. No. Because it's I just, think it makes it better, yeah. Oh, 100%. The, the Breslin, dust on the floor. The Breslin is not a barn, you know. It's too new. None of We need like, to, like, go beat yeah, it with hammers and stuff exactly. to make it a little, and that's give the, it a little history. And we noticed uh, upon reviewing the history at Butler, which you said it's dripping in history. It yes. quite literally is. In the concourse hallways, there's a plaque about every 30 feet that's a history lesson on, on Hinkle Fieldhouse or Butler University itself. So we found out at the Selick Bowl, their football stadium. Very nice facility as well. Yes. We were impressed. The largest attendance ever there was in 1947 for an NFL exhibition game between the Los Angeles Rams, who moved away from there eventually, and now are back in L.A. Everything comes full circle, I suppose. And our very own Detroit Lions. They had like 20,000 people go to the Selleck Bowl. And then they had, there's the plaque about um, Hoosiers and where that movie comes from and the actual school and how that was a real thing and, you know, when it was built and all this stuff. And uh, when it was turned into a hospital for World War II, I think, or something. Or, yes, or, that's uh, right. Or barracks, I think it was. Something related. It might have been both. Yeah, and presidents that have visited. I mean, it's just... Concerts. A, it's a fantastic place. You can feel the history and just the pure love of basketball in there, no matter where you are, whether it's the concessions, it's, you know, the spirit store, the concourse in the actual gym. Um, and it's it's a fantastic place. I had so much fun there. And it, it made it more fun that Michigan State played completely. well and had a really good win. That was maybe the Spartans' most wire-to-wire complete performance of the season. But not a lot to talk about with that game against the Bulldogs, other than it being an extremely fun experience for both Trent, Brendan, and Trent as well. Or I said Trent twice. You did. Trent, you missed Brendan, okay. and myself. We don't need to focus on that. We don't need to focus on Eastern Michigan as well, even though Stan Heath, former Izzo assistant, that team is improving, so look out for the Eagles in the future. But 
we'll get into a very eventful battle for Atlantis. Loyola Chicago, UConn, and Baylor. Yes, the Spartans did indeed play three games in the opener. They defeated the Loyola Chicago Ramblers 63-61, moving on to the semifinals, beating UConn 64-60, and then in the finals of the Battle for Atlantis tournament at Atlantis Resort, the Spartans fell 75-58 to to the, re- the reigning national champion Baylor Bears. But before we get into what actually happened, I want to talk a little bit about what our expectations were headed into that tournament, because... Obviously, a big test. The field was stacked. Loyola Chicago, from the jump, was no joke school to get around. And obviously, you've seen this Michigan State team play Kansas. You've seen this Michigan State team play Butler. They have have more tough opponents coming up. But this team has really been tested a lot early this season. But our expectations headed into this tournament. For me, I thought they were going to win against Loyola Chicago in the first round, and then lose to, presumptively, UConn in the second round of the tournament. So or they, Auburn. They trumped my expectations. I thought a second-round loss was coming. I expected—now, here's the thing. You're guaranteed three games in the tournament. Win or loss, no matter what. You you play three games, because they have—the bracket is set up in the middle, and you either go right or left based on win or loss. And I expected Loyola—the thing I liked about this tournament that I'll, I'll preface this with is every team in the tournament— except for with the exception of Arizona State probably, has a history in March. Baylor's been a good team for years. They finally got it done last year. Auburn was v- in that final VCU, four Yeah, Auburn, Auburn was in that final four with Michigan State. VCU was one of the first or, and you know most famous Cinderella's in, in recent history. UConn, obviously, the run they had with Kemba Walker. Syracuse and Jim Beheim, Michigan State and Tom Izzo. You know, so it was, it was a very packed uh, tournament and maybe some of these teams aren't as good this year as they've been in years past. But every year, year in and year out, all of those teams are quality teams, and and that's going to be a quality win no matter what year you play them in. So I was impressed with Michigan State. Um, I thought Loyola was going to be a close game, and it was. I knew it was going to be a tough battle for Michigan State. That's a weird matchup for them going against that Loyola team. I did expect a win, though. I will say Michigan State went two and one in the tournament. I expected them to go two and one. But I expected, similar to you, a little bit of a different path. Beat you, beat uh, Loyola, lose to either UConn or Auburn. That game between those two, between uh, the Tigers and the Huskies, was great game. Arguably the game of the year so far. Two overtimes, a hundred plus points for each team, back and forth. Looked like uh, UConn had it locked up in overtime, and then they threw it away. Looked like Auburn had it in the first overtime, and UConn battled back. Looked like UConn had it in the second overtime, and then Auburn made it close. It was it was just a fantastic game. UConn gutted it out, and I think that helped Michigan State that the Auburn UConn game went into two overtimes because UConn in the first half of the Michigan State game looked like a team who played two overtimes, you know, a, a few hours before the night before, and uh, Michigan State was able to use that to their advantage in the first half and kind of build a lead and build some momentum, and then they were able to ride that wave the rest of the game and skate by with a win. I don't know how they did it. It really. Things were not going their way in the last seven minutes. But I expected a loss to UConn or Auburn, and then for them to win the following consolation game, whether it be VCU, Syracuse, uh, Arizona State, something like that. So I still expected them to go 2-1, and one, but not in the fashion that they did. And, you know, they go 2-1, and one, but they really played two and a half good games of basketball. And Baylor is the defending champion, and although they're not as good as they were last year, they are by no means a slouch. One of the best defensive teams in the country. 
They still score at a very high clip. They still have a lot of talent. Uh, Scott Drew, a fantastic coach. Great coach. Of the Bears. Arguably one of the best coaches in college basketball in the past still, five years. What he's done with the Baylor program, if you actually even, look at the numbers. Even where, after winning a national championship, he's still not respected enough, in my opinion. No, and, and, and if you look at where Baylor was before he got there and how they've been since, it's astounding. And they've succeeded in a very talented Big 12 year in and year out. And uh, they, they fell short a couple years in March. They had that one loss that stands out to Yale in a year that kind of looked like they could be a Sweet 16 Elite 8 team, and Yale uh, took them out in the first round. But other than that, Baylor's a very good team, and Michigan State has a lot to be excited about after this tournament. I think the fact that... I, I, the thing I just love about Tom Izzo coach teams, whether it be other non-conference games scheduled, obviously the battle for Atlantis, is that because every year, year in and year out, last year being an exception because the non-conference schedule was extremely limited... The fact that this team continues to test itself and that being a hallmark of the the, the program under Izzo is just something I continually applaud them for year after year because this field was just loaded. And it started with a Loyola Chicago team, which was the, you know, one of only a couple group of five schools, them and VCU in this tournament, but two fine group of five schools. Obviously, like we just mentioned, Michigan State coming away in the opener. 63-61, it was a lob from Tyson Walker to Marcus Bingham Jr. to end that game, a fantastic play and an exciting finish. But let's get into the particulars a little bit on the Michigan State side of thing. The Spartans were led by 24 points from Malik Hall. Marcus Bingham Jr., who had that game winner, he had 11 points, 9 rebounds, 7 blocks. He almost had a triple-double in points, rebounds, and blocks. And then Gabe Brown, 9 points, but had to battle foul trouble. And Tyson Walker had 8 points as well. For each of these games, we're going to have a couple of quick talking points, and then we're going to look more toward the big picture when we're finished talking about the individual games. But from Loyola, honestly, from this first game, I mean, there's not much more to say. Holy cow. The scoring potential that Malik Hall showed in that game, there were some tools in his bag that I don't know he necessarily, that I didn't realize he had. The three he was showing off the three-point shot. He was getting to the rim with regularity. He was making free throws. He didn't miss a shot from the field. He was trying step backs. He was trying fadeaways. He had he had post moves that I didn't know he had. Malik Hall, where, where did this come from all of a sudden? And holy smokes, is it important moving forward? I don't know how to feel about this whole Malik Hall thing. It's really weird to me because he did the exact same thing last year, where Michigan and Seton Hall is freshman year. Yeah, or that's actually what I meant. Is yeah. is last year he really didn't do it, but his freshman year. Michigan State goes to Seton Hall, a very good team with Miles Powell and a bunch of other guys that if that tournament had been played, Seton Hall would have been a huge sleeper for the Final Four. I think they were Absolutely. they were going to be a three-seed or something like that anyways. They were really good in, in, in the end of that year. But Michigan State goes to Seton Hall early in the year, two ranked teams. They pick up a quad one win because Malik Hall, I think, went six for six for 17 points. and then I think 17 is correct. He and, basically won them that game. And then he, he won Michigan State this Loyola-Chicago game for and, more reasons that we're going to bring up as well. And in that same year, Hall kind of goes quiet the rest of the season. Later in the year, Michigan State loses at home to Maryland on a 7-0 run um, to end the game. They go to Maryland for their next game and when they need a huge quad one road win, build their March resume, get back on the right winning path. Malik Hall again goes 8-for-8 eight eight with 21 points or something. Doesn't miss a shot from the floor, is a huge contributor. Michigan State picks up its best win of the year at that time. And this Loyola game probably isn't their best win of the year. I think UConn and Butler 
are, are going to contend for that. Butledge, because it was wire-to-wire. UConn, because that's a really good team that they beat and they gutted out that win. But same thing. They needed a huge performance, clearly, because Malik Hall didn't miss a shot, had 24 points, and they still only won by two on a buzzer-beating lob with Marcus Bingham and Tyson Walker. But the thing about this Malik Hall thing is I, the, the two games similar to this one that I just mentioned were two years ago. He, he really didn't have any games like this last year. He had a, he, a stretch in conference play, or I think it might have been borderline beginning beginning of conference play and a non-conference play when the three ball was really going in for him. That's the only thing that I can think of that is comparable to his freshman year because last year, in terms of consistency on the offensive end, it just wasn't there for him. And the the reason I say I don't know how to feel about this is because I don't think this season and this team is going to be make or break on if Malik Hall can go seven for nine every game from the from the field or whatever, or nine for Any nine. Any offense whatever, they whatever get from is. him is going to be an extreme exactly. luxury. That's a huge luxury, and it's not something that's going to make or break your season. But I worry about it for Malik's sake because he scores 24 and goes nine for nine against Loyola and doesn't make a single shot from the field the rest of the tournament against UConn or against Baylor. That was something. And that's, you know, how much is that 24-point performance worth when you can't follow it up with anything you know he was he was a non-factor offensively in both of those games and he did his part defensively and rebounding in, in those games as well which is kind of what you expect from him but man if it, it, it feels like it feels like golf when you hit a good shot you know or you you play a good hole you play this tough long par four and you make a par you hit fairway you hit green and you two putt and you come out with a with a four and you're like there's no reason I can't do that every time that's it, there, I have to been me, there. There's a number of times I've been there. There's to me. There's it, there's no reason Malik Hall shouldn't feel that same way. There's to, I don't see a reason he can't go out there and average 15 points per game for this team. I always compare it to a my golf game to kind of a faucet. If it's every now and again, randomly, I can just kind of turn it on. Maybe I'll play a great nine, and then the back nine will be terrible. Yeah. I guess it's just it seems like a faucet with Malik Hall. Every yeah. now and again, when he wants to turn on a fantastic offensive performance, he just does. The next point I kind of want to get into, recapping Michigan State's 63-61 win over Loyola Chicago in the opening round of the Battle for Atlantis over Thanksgiving, is obviously this is something we're going to talk about for the entire tournament and really for the entire team's outlook this year, but that would be the turnovers. 20 turnovers against Loyola Chicago, that was the high in the tournament, although Baylor was pretty close. The Spartans turned the ball over 19 times against the Bears. It was a little bit of a dip against UConn, which I give them credit for. But the turnovers this year have been extremely puzzling. And I understand that, you know, you and I have had this conversation many times talking to Trent about this. The With the way Michigan State plays basketball and the way Tom Izzo coaches this club, you can excuse perhaps eight to ten turnovers in a victory because – when this team is clicking, you think of the end of the Cassius Winston era or any good era of Michigan State basketball, they're pushing the ball in transition and maybe every now and again a pass is thrown out of bounds or a, ball, a long stretch pass is thrown up the floor and it's a little high and it goes off a big man's hands. You can excuse a couple of those turnovers that are because they're, they have the right intentions. You're trying to push the ball. You're establishing yourself as a transition team. That's what Izzo teams do. But all these turnovers this year, I'd say 80% of them have been dribbling a ball off your hand or off your foot, miscommunication with a cutting player, throwing it out of bounds, 
throwing it out of bounds on accident, losing the ball, getting it stripped, trying to make a pass in, in, in the half court just in a normal rhythm and getting it stolen away. The biggest problem I have with the turnovers this year and why they're more concerning than usual for me is because they're not the Michigan State turnovers. They look like the turnovers that this team was plagued by last season, and it's something that needs to get cleaned up quickly. And I think it will, but it's still nevertheless quite a bugaboo this year. Also, the thing you got to think about is Michigan State in this tournament had 51 turnovers total. Three games, 51 turnovers. They forced 33 turnovers. Turnovers are excusable if you can do it on the other end. They lost the turnover battle in every single too. game. Sheesh. They lost, but and, and in every single game, they didn't win one. Connecticut, when they had their least amount of turnovers, they only had 12, which really isn't bad. 12 turnovers per game for this Michigan State team is probably a benchmark that they should shoot for and, try, and try to surpass and get to 10. If they can get to 10, they'll be an Elite Eight team for sure. But they only have 12 against Connecticut, and then they only forced nine. And four of them came from one player in Tyrese Martin, who, you know, really didn't have a good game when he played fantastic against Auburn. So, I mean, Tyrese Martin was really good in the end of that Michigan State game, I should say. But still, the the thing about the turnovers for me is, like I said, they're excusable if you can do it on the other end. And it really was noticeable in the second half against Baylor. The first half, Michigan State played really well. Yes. Both teams had a lot of turnovers. There were a lot of fast breaks, a lot of back and forth. Michigan State hit some shots, and they kept it close. They had some turnovers right in the last about two and a half minutes that really hurt them and got them down at that. They should have gone into half with a lead. But then in the second half, they couldn't make shots. They couldn't hold on to the ball. And by God, they couldn't stop Baylor if their life depended on it. And that's a scary thing. And I don't know. I understand it's early. It's November. We can't overreact to you know early November basketball but at this point, we're seven games in, nine games total if you add the exhibitions, and every single game, Izzo has mentioned the turnovers. And I know he really talked about it after the Baylor game and put a huge emphasis on it and said he was going to change things. But like, when do these changes happen? When do you? When is 20 turnovers yeah. too much and the next practice you, you tape a ball to every player's hands? Like, the weird at thing some too point, is you have to ingrain this into your team that if you want to have a good season, you can't let go of this basketball. I, I It's going to be interesting to see how these turnovers are kind of coached out of this team. Because it's one thing if, you know, execution issues are one thing. Obviously, if there's miscommunication, Izzo's talked a lot about putting the pieces together on offense, which I completely understand. It's a brand new team. And we've seen the growing pains on offense already come to fruition. Yeah. Tyson Walker has looked so much better in this offense than he did against oh, yeah. Kansas. The, but the turnovers, the, the dribbling it off your foot, the just getting it stripped when you're going in the lane, some of those ne can't necessarily be completely coached out. So that's on the players individually to step up and just secure the basketball a little bit more. My next point that I want to get to about Loyola Chicago, the, the Spartans play, despite the pretty prolonged absence of Gabe Brown due to foul trouble, four fouls on the game for Gabe Brown, so he was able to finish, but the Spartans had to go pretty much a solid 10 minutes of that first half against Loyola Chicago without Gabe Brown, who has established himself as the team's alpha dog so far this year. This can kind of be a quicker one, but I've been pretty darn impressed with with the, with how that team re responded with not having Gabe Brown for, for the majority of it. Yeah, and, you know, kind of like I talked about early in the season is 
that's the advantage of not having a superstar is you can lean on other guys when you need to. And so Malik Hall was one of those guys. Marcus Bingham is going to be one of those guys. Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogart are going to have their moments. Jaden Akins against Baylor, a, a huge surprise. You know, 12 points, I think it was three assists, six rebounds or something like that. He had a really good game against Baylor. They leaned on him a little bit in the second half. That's the advantage of having no superstars is that other guys can pick up the slack. And that was huge for Michigan State because Brown is the go-to guy right now. You know, and and Christie didn't have a great game either. All tournament, he didn't have three great games at all. I think he was like two for 20 from the floor or something in all three games. But the fact that they can lean on other guys is huge, and they're going to need to. Let's keep it with Gabe Brown and transition games into the UConn game. It was a happy Thanksgiving for Michigan State. This game was played last Thursday on Thanksgiving, noon tip-off. And another Michigan State victory, a 64-60 win over Coach Hurley's UConn Huskies. The particulars for this one, Michigan State was led by 16 points from the aforementioned Gabe Brown. 15 points in 11 minutes off the bench for Julius Marble. And another 7 points for Marcus Bingham Jr. Another good performance for him. 7 points, 7 rebounds, and a couple of blocks as well. But let's, let's stay with Gabe Brown. A lot has been said, both in the media around the program, students, fans, other people. Who is the alpha dog of this Michigan State team? And I don't know if this is necessarily a question that we can answer yet, but my question for you, coming off this performance, 16 points, he really carried Michigan State in that UConn game. He's shown up in a variety of these games. He carried the Spartans against Butler. He carried the Spartans against, I'm trying to think of the other game. He had a good game against Western. Is Gabe Brown the alpha dog of this team? That's the question. I think right now he is. I think is he is he going to be the alpha dog? I guess I agree that he is the alpha dog right now. The question that I think is still unanswered, and I'm interested in us taking a swing at, is do we think in two months do we think he's going to be the alpha dog? I don't know if Gabe has the decision making skills. I think he has the basketball skills and the talent to be the alpha dog, the Cassius Winston, Aaron Henry of this team. You know, I I look at Gabe in a really similar spot that I looked at Aaron last year, in which same thing with Michigan State last year. They didn't have a superstar. It it, it was quickly noticeable that Rocket Watts was not just going to be a go-to scorer. Bingham wasn't the level that he needed to be. Hauser couldn't knock down shots when they needed him to. Foster Lawyer was always hurt. You know, and, and, and Gabe wasn't doing his portion of the scoring, so Henry was kind of... The only guy left. It was the de facto alpha dog. He also hit some big shots, right. w- and, which and, and that's the thing is he 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 was de facto, but he also earned that spot. He was the best player on the team, and he played like that all year. Defensive leader, which is an area Brown could still improve in, in yes. my opinion. Yes, that's part of being the alpha dog as well. Yeah, is on both sides of the ball, but and so I think Gabe has the raw talent and skill to be the Aaron Henry of this team on both sides of the ball. But I don't know if his decision making. I think. A lot of times he, he it, not a lot of times, that's not fair to say. I think sometimes he leans to make the flashy play or the big play rather than the smart play. The amount of times I've seen him go up for a huge posterizing dunk and miss a shot, you know, he, a lot of times he gets to the line, but Gabe's skilled enough to go get an and one on those plays. He had one time, you know, he's running down the floor. It's him and Aikens in a 2-1-1. Jaden Aikens is the highest jumper on the team right behind Gabe Brown. And I thought he was going to throw it off the glass, throw a lob, do something. And he took it himself, got to the foul line, missed the dunk, and I think missed one of the free throws, which is pretty rare for him. But, 
you're short a point there and a four point game, those are pretty, you know, momentous. But I, I just need the decision making to be a little bit better for him. But I will say the advantage for this year's team is last year Aaron Henry was the de facto and it really wasn't close for second place as to who would be the go-to bucket. This year, Christie has almost matched Gabe in almost every game except for this road trip as far as scoring. Hogard had his big game against Kansas. Marcus Bingham looks like he's going to be a 12-9 and guy all year. If Joey Hauser can knock down shots, he's had a double-double already. He's had a couple good games. You know, Walker has shown flashes of being able to score. Uh, Aikens went in there and made some plays. This team, I think, has a lot more options if Gabe is not the alpha dog to the level that Henry and Cassius were. Because th- those are the two I think about because Gabe was on those teams and was you know led by those guys and learned from them. So I think they need him to, to kind of step up and be that player. But if they don't, I don't think it's boom or bust. You know? I'm in lockstep with you. I think that Gabe has got all the tools in his tool chest to be the alpha dog of this team. I think it's going to be very telling the the West. The I'd say we'll check in on this question after the month of December because you have I like that check you, it on the new year. We'll, we'll do that. the fir, The first episode we do in the new year, we're going to revisit the question of is Gabe Brown the alpha dog of this team? Because obviously we're going to have the Spartans are going to have a couple of Big Ten games under their belt by that time. The Louisville game coming up on Wednesday is going to be under their belt. A couple of more. Tough non-conference games. Toledo, Oakland, some better group of five teams. We'll get into that a little bit later. Lots of action coming up. So we're going to revisit this. But like I said, I think all the tools are there. I I would like to see him in two areas in particular. I mean, obviously defensively, I think he still has steps to take to be kind of the true leader of this team, especially when it comes to a Tom Izzo coach team where everyone has to play defense and your best player has got to play defense. Even if you're a little bit flawed on that end of the floor, you still need to be putting the top effort in of, of your yeah. entire team. I mean, you've been you've seen it with a lot of players through the years. Maybe not the best defensive players in terms of having a skill set, but the effort is there and the communication is there. You will not succeed on a Tom Izzo team if you don't play defense. If you don't, not have, even close. If you don't put the effort in, you're not going to play. He's just one of those coaches, and I think Gabe does put in the effort, and I think a lot of these guys do. I think Marcus Bingham is putting in a lot more effort defensively than he used to. I think Joey Hauser, despite what some people think and his defensive liabilities, still works really hard defensively to be good, and that's why he earns those minutes. So we'll see what Gabe does moving forward. Eventually, though, it it, it gets to a point where you have to stop just crediting effort and you need results. The two areas that I think I'm the most intrigued to see how Gabe Brown does in them would be Shot blocking, because I think all the ability is there for him to be a decent shot blocker. His length and athleticism. In transition, yeah. I completely agree. And then his rebounding as well. He's had a couple of games this year when he's had seven, eight, nine rebound performances. This team is, is going to need to continue to have a team effort on the boards, and he needs to be kind of leading that group of wings in that regard. We'll talk about another guy who had a great performance on the boards in this UConn game. Once again, recapping Michigan State's 64-60 to win over the Huskies on Thanksgiving, advancing to the finals of the Battle for Atlantis. And that would be none other than Julius Marble. Now, this is a hell of a stat line. 15 points in 11 minutes, 5 of 7 from the field, 5 of 8 from the line, 4 rebounds as well, and a block. He stuffed the stat sheet, and he did it in just 11 minutes. This 
the, the five position for this team, you think of last season, the two areas, in my opinion, that went the most wrong for the Spartans last year was that point guard position, you know, spoiler, they never had one, and the five last year, Hauser was tried at the five. Julius Marble started games at the five. Bingham was nowhere to be found early in the year and then came on at the end of the year. No consistency. Players all over the place. Five different guys played the five for this team last year. But this year, I want to talk about the rotation at that five spot. Obviously, the starter is Marcus Bingham Jr. He is planted in that spot the rest of the year. But I've been impressed with Maudie Sizoko's minutes. I think he's he's got a lot more control. He controls his motions, especially better on offense. He doesn't foul as much on defense. He's definitely improved. He's not and, elbowing any fighting Illini yeah. players. Oh, boy. We don't even have to get into that. <laughs> Illinois Illinois had a year last year. They did. Mich- with Michigan and with that. Winning the maybe. Big Ten. And, winning, yeah. yeah, allegedly winning the Big Ten. And then losing to the Ramblers. Ugh. Yeah. Hey, it all comes full circle. Yeah. But Julius Marble... What is his role on the team going to be moving forward this season? There's been a lot said about it. Does he deserve more minutes? Is always talked about playing him more minutes. But Marcus Bingham Jr. doesn't necessarily need to be played less. If anything, he needs to be played more as well. An offense-defense platoon, perhaps. Obviously, you need a ton of bigs to get through Big Ten play. But this team having options at the five, I think, especially for him to do this against a very good UConn team, very encouraging. Very encouraging for Marble. The interesting thing about this to me is the Julius Marble-Joey Hauser minutes battle. And Izzo has talked about both of them needing more minutes. And he really focused on Marble in the last press conference after the battle for Atlantis and how well Julius has played and how he's done it in such few minutes and that needs to change. It needs to be more minutes. And I think Marble last year was similar to Malik Hall in which he would have some of these great games, but it was kind of a few and far between thing. And there were some times where he'd get out there for 10 or 11 minutes and not do anything and, you know, make no note of himself on offense or defense. And if you're going to get out there and play 11 minutes and do nothing on defense either, you're not going to earn yourself more minutes in this rotation. But I think the interesting thing to look at with this team is their most played rotation is their their starters walker christie brown hall and bingham at 15.9 percent they've taken up of michigan state's playing time the second most played is that same five except hauser in for hall at 7.4 percent the next five after that is walker christie brown hall and marble at 5.8 percent so i'm kind of mental screenshotting the 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 top three rotational fives for Michigan State right now, and maybe revisit this in a month or two. Can you reread that number one? Number one is the starters. Okay. Well, the new starters. Hauser started the so year Malik, for Hall. Malik. Instead, it's Hall, Bingham, Markey. Brown, Christie, okay. Walker, and Hogard actually doesn't make um, a top rotation for Michigan State until number five. He's only played uh, the most in their rotation at three point four percent. There's but, been, Izzo has said a lot, especially, you know, being at his press conference on Monday about AJ, even though he had a hell of an offseason in the weight room, there's still a lot to go in, in upping his game. He's got work to do, and he's yeah. a guy that we can uh, revisit at another time. But yes. I, I'm really interested to see if Julius Marble in the third line will move up moving forward over the next month or two and kind of take over the spot for Hauser. Because so I, what is the likelihood? That we see 
extended minutes with Julius Marble at the four with Bingham at the five together. I think that's the next step for Izzo. Because Hauser's minutes would be Marble taken away. Yeah. 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 And and, and I don't I don't like the Hauser Marble duo out there at the same time. I think very flawed defensively. I think I don't think Bingham loses minutes here, but I think there's also a good possibility that Marble is first guy off the bench now. In terms of the of fours Hauser. and the fives. Yeah. yeah. Just just in general. It used to be when Hauser was starting, it was Malik and Hogard were the first two guys off the bench. Now I think it's probably Hogard and Marble subbing in and Malik stays on. So it so it's Hogard. If we wanted, if we wanted Christy, to go really Brown, crazy Hall and Marble. You could even talk about and this is this is crazy and you might not like this, but you could talk about Marble and the first guard off the bench being Jade Nakins. Yeah. Has he surpassed? I mean, we're down a rabbit hole at this point, but this is what we do on this podcast. Right. What the heck? Aikens at this point, we're, this is, I wanted to make this a talking point during the Baylor game. He had 12 points during that game. We'll move this up to right now just because we're on the topic. Is, is all of a sudden Jaden Aikens, is he outplaying AJ Hogard enough right now to take some of his minutes? Because I think so. It, that's another guy Izzo's talked about wanting to get in the rotation more. He says he wants to get Aikens more time. I don't think so. I think Hogarth is still better than Aikens and still a guy that knows this offense and this team more and has earned that spot. I mean, Hogarth is 11th in the country on Ken Palm in assist rate right now. That's fantastic at 41.4. Um, he, he's a guy who... Uh, is the most major contributor on this Michigan State team as far as percentage of possessions used at 47.5% of possessions. Hogard has the ball in his hands, and he's used in some way, shape, or form. So I, I, I think Aikens played well against Baylor. I think he's shown flashes here and there. He had a good game against Western Michigan as well. But I don't think Aikens is a guy who's ready to, to kind of switch spots with Hogard. Even whether it's gradual or whether it's with the snap of a finger, he's got you know just as many minutes or more, and, and I I would be surprised if Izzo did that. That doesn't that's not the Izzo style is to just kind of switch guys like that. I like Aikens. I think he needs more minutes. I think we're gonna see him get more minutes, but I don't know if he's ready to take that spot for Hogard. And back to the Marble Hauser thing, where I think Julius Marble gets an advantage here is. Izzo loves Hauser. Hauser works hard. He rebounds better than people give him credit for. He's a better, no matter what Spartan fans think out there, especially on Twitter, Joey Hauser is a better shooter than what is being displayed right now. And and the thing, The frustrations too, with his game are very warranted this year. Right. But this guy is not some garbage offensive player that people want, him, want to make him out to and, be. And if you look at it, Joey Hauser is a guy who Izzo trusts to shoot threes. And he hasn't made them so far this year. He he showed flashes last year of being able to knock them down consistently, especially early, early in the year. Yeah, and, and then he kind of faltered later in the year. And early this year, he has struggled with it. But you look at the shots he's getting. Joey Hauser is getting open looks, and if he's a guy that can start knocking those down, they'll become less open looks. And what that means is there's more space for other people to get shots. So I don't think Izzo is ready to right the ship on Hauser and kind of go away from that offensive scheme because that's such an advantage for Michigan mind. State to have him as a three-point shooter. 
I wouldn't mind seeing him put the ball on the deck a little bit more, too. He's a skilled ball handler. He can be erratic at times, but that's usually when his game or the game as a whole has snowballed. I don't know if I he has like the people, self-confidence to do it. I, I, can, I agree. I, but those, those defenders are starting to creep up on the line, as they should be, because he's a threat to shoot the basketball. Hopefully... He, he, he'll he put it on the deck a couple of times and, and make them respect him a little bit more in that regard, it would open a lot up for him. Would he, would Hauser, the best thing for Hauser right now, the medicine that he needs, is he needs to average two three-pointers made per game over the next month. That would... And, That'd be headed into Big Ten conference. Headed into conference play, I think that yeah, would be. I don't what, care just what the doctor ordered. How many attempts it is, either it can be ten, it can be twenty, it can be three. He needs to make two three pointers per game for the next month of play, and that will be such a huge advantage for Michigan State's offense. That's going to open up Walker a lot more in the pick and roll, not only for to score for himself, but to drive and kick to other shooters like Max Christie and Gabe Brown. That's going to get them open more. It's going to still have Hauser open on the pick and pop. You know who else it's going to make open more? It's going to make Malik Hall open more when Hauser's covered on the pick and pop and Hall's open down low. So if Hauser, it's 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 like I don't know. It's 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 right there for the taking. He's just got to knock down two, Dude, this and that's is really going to change for Michigan State. This conversation that you and I have right now is playing into a pretty grand theme for this team this year, and that's making the pieces work. Right. Izzo has said a lot, a lot in the last week about getting his rotations down, getting his lineups down, getting minutes per game for these guys to where he wants to be. He is figuring out the pieces. And just like you said just now, there is a vision that not only we see for this team, but also obviously the coaching staff, fans, students. The vision is there for this team to have a pretty high ceiling at this point. It's all about putting those puzzle pieces together. I want to hit on one more quick one from UConn before we hit Baylor and then obviously a Louisville and Toledo prediction later in the show as well as yeah Louisville (laughs) Louisville Louisville or Toledo preview and prediction but one more on UConn and that would be the play of freshman guard yes freshman guard not Jade Nakins but yes Pierre Brooks three minutes five points against UConn and he got some buckets in that first half when the Spartans needed him I'm not going to advocate for Pierre Brooks like I advocate for Jade Nakins in terms of playing time. But it's not a bad thing, and this can be a quick one, to know that in a big game against a big team, you can have a freshman if there is foul trouble or injury or something, having another depth piece on this team. This team is deep. I mean, Sissoko could play in a pinch. Brooks could play in a pinch. If Akins needs to play 30 minutes because of injury or foul trouble, that's something we are now more comfortable with. This team has got a lot of depth, and and seeing Brooks really step out in that UConn game was just a nice little positive luxury, another luxury. Yeah, it was nice. I don't think it's anything of note, though. I agree. I, I, I agree with, you know, you, you rattled off Sissoko, Brooks, and Akins and what they can do in a pinch, and, you know, I could agree that you could trust Akins to play 25 30 minutes in a game that you needed him to and everything would be okay i don't think you can trust brooks to repeat that performance again i don't think you can trust sissoko to be someone you can lean on yet if you have to eight minutes in some games sometimes that's just the way the game goes you get caught in a bad spot fouls aren't going your way shots aren't going your way you know players get foul trouble someone gets ejected and one of those guys 
absolutely has to play that many minutes and there's nothing you can do. They just have to go out there and fight their way through it and it'll be good for their character and, and player development later on. But it was nice to see from Brooks. I don't know if it's anything to really warrant any attention though. So let's move on to the championship game of the Battle for Atlantis. Yes, our predictions were both incorrect. The Spartans won not just their first game, but their second game. But the story was a little bit different against Baylor last Friday. An early 11 a.m. tip-off. Not a fan of those. No. Please don't do that again. I woke up 15 minutes late. Oh, no. If I if we had a drop board right now, I would definitely play a buzzer sounder, but it's okay. Anyways... 75-58, like we mentioned, the final score in this one. The reigning national champion Baylor Bears continued their undefeated start to the season and beat the Spartans pretty thoroughly. Once again, the Spartans were led by Gabe Brown, who had 13 points. Jaden Akins, like we mentioned, 12 points. Another coming out party for him. Marcus Bingham Jr., 7 points in a block. Joey Hauser, 6 points, 4-4 four, four from the line, which is maybe another reason why I would like him to put the ball on the deck a little bit more, but we already talked about that, and I digress. But looking big picture with this Baylor team, this was a measuring stick game. It's a very sports term to say, ah, this or that is a measuring stick. But this was a measuring stick game early in the season. How did we think the Spartans measured up in this game against the reigning national champions? What work, How much work do we have, or did the Spartans have left? What do we? How, how was the result? Here's my hot take about that term, measuring stick game. I only think it's a measuring stick game. There's two conditions for it. One, if it is in the latter half of the season. This goes for any sport. So you can throw this one out already. Right. If it's in the latter half of the season or if the team who's – it's it, this was not a measuring stick game for Baylor. Baylor is supposed to win this game. Baylor's measuring stick is going to be when they play Kansas in the Big 12 or something like that, you know, or they have a, another tough team in the non-con. Heads up, the Bears are just as good this year. Yeah. Oh, baby. They are fantastic. Defensively, very scary. But it's only a measuring stick game. One, if this game is in 2022, you know, in the latter half of the season for Michigan State, or if they win this game. If Michigan State goes out and wins this game, it proves that they can hang with the top 10 teams in the nation and with the best defensive teams in the nation. But they couldn't, and that's why it's not a measuring stick game because it's so early in the year, this Michigan State team is not developed. We just talked about how much the rotation can change, how much the offense can change if Hauser comes apart or if Hauser comes to life, if Malik Hall can play like this consistently. Is Gabe Brown going to be the alpha dog or are they going to lean on guys back and forth, left and right all year? You know, So a lot is going to change with this Michigan State team a lot less is going to change with this Baylor team. They kind of have the model already. They did it last year. They're undefeated right now this Coach year. Coach Drew throws yeah, some respect on his name. They know what they need to do. Obviously, they're going to try to improve, and obviously they're probably going to improve. Oh, yeah. They're probably going to get better offensively. They're just going to start to click more and more. Defense is probably going to stay the same, but there's so much for this Michigan State team that's going to change. Now, what was the measuring stick game in this tournament was Loyola Chicago and UConn. It proves that... To me, I look at this tournament as a March tournament. Loyola Chicago and UConn are two possible, likely matchups. Could have been that for first a team round like Michi- Middle first, Tennessee trap. That Loyola could have been Chicago. the first weekend for Michigan State That's in this March tournament. So it proves that they can get to weekend number two right now if that tournament started. They have the pieces to build it out, which is a really good thing. 
because if they can get to that Baylor game would have been the Sweet 16. Yeah, if they can get to the second weekend right now, and we're in November, and we've talked about how much they can improve on. Obviously, they can still go down too. They can keep turning the ball over. They can keep not making three pointers, and it'll be a long year. But if they can get better then maybe they make it to the third weekend or to April, you know? If so, I had a bell of approval, what a, fanta- what a fantastic... I, w- I would ring the bell of approval right now. What a fantastic way to compare... See, I, I kind of threw you a lob with the whole measuring stick thing. Right. You dunked that down, not in support, though. But I love the comparison of that tournament to the NCAA tournament. Because, yeah. hopefully, you know, Michigan State, a team of their stature, is you know, hopefully playing a team like Loyola Chicago in the round of 64 I could or easily, Middle Tennessee or Ohio or whoever. That could easily be a 7-10, a 6-11 yeah. matchup for Michigan State this March. And then, Somebody like Loyola, somebody like a MAC champion that they're going to play soon, like Toledo or Oakland or Buffalo or something like that, you know? A quality team always seems to sneak up in the round of 32. Yeah. You cannot avoid playing a quality opponent in the round of 32 or any game in the tournament, nevertheless. And then that Sweet 16 game was Baylor when the field gets extremely narrowed. I like that analogy a lot because they passed that first weekend test, like you said, and it'll be interesting to see I guess I guess the measuring stick will be where they grow from that tournament test. We'll see how we'll see how much of that gap they close. Nevertheless, one uh, one player we haven't talked about and one person I want to get into about Baylor. We're watching some highlights right now here in the studio of the uh, other games in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and there are some great ones. And this is a Fan- hell of a time to be alive. Yeah. Much more to come on the new four point play with Brennan Shabath. More Ooh. more on that later. We haven't mentioned one player yet on this podcast, and this has to do with the Baylor game a little bit, and that would be Max Christie. Max Christie, not a great shooting start uh, to this to his Spartan career or his college career, and he was two of six in the Baylor game, but he had worse shooting performances in the battle for Atlantis. He is still contributing on defense. He has not gotten less minutes. He's not gotten in foul trouble. He's still contributed a little bit on the boards, but shooting just a poor shooting start for the freshman max christie Izzo has said he's doing everything we want he's contributing on defense and i completely agree and and the shots are going to go in for him if i were to you know uh, from one to ten with one being the least concerned and ten being the most if i were to give a ranking of where i am in terms of my concern with max christie at this point i would say a negative seven i i'm not concerned at all I think the only thing that he really needs to get going, other than, well, he's had problems with turnovers, but to be honest, everyone on this team's had problems with turnovers, so I guess I'll just loop him in with the rest of the team. But in terms of those shots going in, I'm not concerned. I mean, Christie's had nine turnovers in seven games. A freshman averaging a turnover per game, to me, is not really a big deal. The thing that I'm 1-10 to on worry of Max Christie, I am smack in the middle at 5. Not 5.1, not 4.9. So 50-50. I can go either way on this, and that's because Max Christie's shooting 33% from the field, 26% from deep. But in that, he's averaging eight points per game. So he's finding other ways to score. He's a good free throw shooter. So if he stays shooting... This poorly, this is Christie's got to shoot better than this. He's way more skilled. Water finds its level, to quote. Yeah, the wonderful sports cliche. Alex McRae. and Alex McRae. Yeah, but 
He's 20 for 60 from the floor, 7 for 27 from deep so far this year. I expect those numbers to go up. I won't be surprised if they don't, though, you know? But even if they don't, Christie's still averaging 8 points and and 3.5 rebounds per game. So those are helpful numbers from a guy like him. They're not going to draw any attention on offense, and Michigan State is going to have to do some other things. But they have a roster that has that ability if they need to and if guys... Other guys live up to their potential. But the flip side of this is if Christie increases his numbers, I think he can go up probably 1.5x in both percentages as far as shooting from the field and from deep. I think Christie can be a 35, 40 if he wants, three-point shooter. If I he picks his agree. spots right, He's he's had some interesting decisions made from three-point shooting. And Izzo's I think... talked about getting him the ball. Well, two things, and I, I think I, you're going to agree with both of them. Getting him the ball a little bit more, and he's taking a lot of bad shots. Yeah. Which I think that's what you were to say. Yeah, a lot I think, of I think he, he's had some really interesting decisions as far as shot quality. Um, but yeah, I think if he wants, Christy can be... Thirty-two and a half to thirty-eight percent from deep, and maybe not forty at this point, just because it's kind of no, washed. I don't but think I so. think thirty-five to thirty-eight. I think thirty-two is his is his floor floor, and thirty-eight yeah. is his ceiling. I agree, and I think from the field, he's got to be forty-five plus. I think he needs to be if he can be forty-five plus. If he can get to fifty, he's going to average like eighteen points a game. Max Christie, we're finding out, is indeed human because yes. it, he checked off every box in the preseason and had media people like me, you know, raising his expectations. Salivating. I was salivating, but hey, I said my concern level was negative seven, and I'm, I'm going to back that up, and hopefully we've made a, quite a list of things we're going to check in out here in about a month. I'm going to, I will also put in bold Max Christie's shooting slump on this show document. We have a lot to revisit in this the is, new year. This is a really good timeline for the season to talk about a lot of this stuff. I mean, we're seven games in. We've got a lot more games to go. Yeah. But seven games in is kind of a good spot to see where this team stands. It's a decent enough sample size. Yeah, it's enough to stop looking at, like you and I have talked about in broadcast prep, stop looking at stats from the year before and start looking at how guys are doing in this current season, how they're doing in the past month, in the past seven games. So... I think this is a really good spot to have a lot of these discussions and review them in about a month or two. So we've recapped all three games from the Battle of Preferred Atlantis. We've done a nice holistic approach. We've analyzed not just the games, but the players involved, UConn, Loyola, Chicago, and Baylor. I want to hit on a couple of big picture things, kind of pulling everything together before we get to the Louisville or Louisville, slash Toledo prediction, as well as the four-point play spinoff, and then wrap up the podcast. But a couple of quick ones. I listed this on our podcast document as kind of the main issues in no particular order. Turnovers, shooting, because this team is a way better shooting team than it is right now. Christy, Hauser, et cetera. And then Potentially. Just, oh, fingers crossed, and for their sake, hopefully it's a better shooting team yes, than right now. it can be. And then... Fitting the pieces together. Yeah. So, obviously, turnovers, they need to get back to playing more of a Michigan State fast break, and the turnovers need to come in transition as opposed to dribbling balls off feet and throwing passes out of bounds and stuff. That's the way that's fixed. 
shooting. You hope water finds its level with guys like Hauser and Christie who are proven better shooters. And then fitting the pieces together is what the hallmark of a Tom Izzo team is. By the time March comes around, it'll hopefully be a completely different team than what it is right now if if all goes well for the Spartans. But uh, you think it's accurate to list these three things as the biggest issues right now? And if you had to add a fourth or omit one of these, would you? Well, two of the things you mentioned are statistical. And Ken Palm Don over here is always Ken looking Palm Don. Get him some merch. Get him at, a hat. At this website. And for those of you that aren't familiar with this website, Ken Pomeroy is a big fan of red and green. He color codes a lot of this stuff. And Maybe he likes Christmas. It is the holidays. Also, red and green often correlate to good and bad. And that's how they are on the website. So, for example, Michigan State defensive efficiency is second in the country right now at 88.1. Give green. Green. Yeah. In that, the money. That is very, very green. It or is, in the black, it is to the, quote the stock market. It is the second most green block in the country for any of these teams. To Baylor, probably. So if you just look at the colors of their stat sheet, so there's efficiency, tempo, possessions, uh, effective field goal percent, which is shooting, turnover percent, uh, rebounding, free throws, three-point shooting, two-point shooting. You look at all of it, a lot of it is green, the ones that are red, turnover percent, both offense and defense, and three-point shooting offense. You yes. mentioned turnovers and shooting. Those are the two statistical ones. Is there any yellow ones? There's a couple. Uh, two-point shooting. Rebounding surprise me. Free throw shooting, uh, which is not a surprise. They have to get better at no. free throws. Their, yeah. their tempo, they're pretty uh, smack in the middle as far as um, That's something that will improve as Walker and, and Hogar Possessions improve. per game. Yeah, I yeah. think so too. But – Turnovers and three-point shooting offensively are both the, – they defend the three really well, um, top 50 in the country. But three-point shooting offensively, not very good. That has to get up. And like you said, it can. I think Christie can shoot better. Brown is the best shooter on this team. I still think he can improve. Obviously, we know what Joey Hauser can do. Marcus Bingham has a shot. We don't know if he's going to take those. I don't think he's going to, but if he starts knocking them down, then he can't. Malik Hall is one of those guys we've talked about that can shoot a little bit. I think Tyson Walker can average 0.5 three-pointers made per game this year if he wants, you know, one every two games or something like that. You know, I don't think it's going to be a weapon, but I think he can show up here and there. Jaden Akins, despite, you know, contrary to popular belief, has a decent three-point shot. I saw him do it a lot in high school. It's going to be a part of his game in the coming years. We'll see if he kickstarts that this year. But three-point shooting is something this team really needs to fix and get better at. And we'll see. I think it's going to be Louisville is going to be a decent litmus test for how this team shoots because Michigan State defends the three very well and doesn't shoot it very well. Louisville, same thing, defends the three very well, doesn't shoot it very well. So both of these teams are similar from behind the arc. It's going to be about who can do better in this game, and we'll get to that in the preview. But, yeah, the turnovers is going to be the huge one for Michigan State, but more so, like you talked about, if the pieces can fit together, all those red things are going to get green naturally, and they're going to become a lot better if the offense can work and if guys can get things to go defensively. I don't know if that's going to happen, though. I'm really, like... Like five out of ten on this Christie worry, I'm like five and a half out of ten as an overall on this team. I think this team that pulls me into the last really, question I had is really on the brink of going either way. If they keep up where they are statistically, 
it's going to be a pretty long year. If they can improve, this team can be a lot of fun. My last question was a quick temperature check. We're going to the doctor. We're getting a well visit. We're getting a physical, like new Tiger shortstop, Javier Baez. How has the ceiling of this team changed? Or maybe it has not. In my mind, we're sticking the thermometer in the Michigan State basketball right now. The ceiling has not changed one bit. There the floor are, has. There are. I think the floor has increased. I think the. I think the floor. What, was, what did you have their floor? In I the had Big their. 10? I had their in the Big Ten. Yeah. I had their floor as like a six. Where they five, started. Wow. Okay. And I think that they're. I, I don't think they're. I don't. I still don't think they'd slip anything below that. Yeah. I think the floor has probably gone from like six, you know, seven to probably five, just because like a solid five, just because of how horrific the Big Ten has been this season. Yeah. Their ceiling, though, I think is the exact same. Looking at a five to seven seed in the NCAA tournament, top five team in the Big Ten. There's been a lot of flashes. They've won some games that are important, but there is still a lot, and I mean a lot, that needs to be improved on if this team wants to, say, make a Final Four run. So for that reason, you know, we'll get your take quickly here before we move into Louisville and Toledo, Louisville and Toledo. I don't think the ceiling has changed at all. I think the floor has increased slightly, but there's I, there's a lot of basketball to play. I had the ceiling at three in the Big Ten. I had the floor at seven. I think with what we've seen from the Big Ten so far, Illinois is probably not going to live up to expectations. Michigan is not going to live up to expectations. Purdue, on the other hand, looks like they are. We'll get into Purdue a little bit later, clobber, too. We uh, Florida State here on our yeah. TV in the studio. Yikes. Oh, Ohio State's hit or miss. Iowa's playing good, but I don't think that's going to last. They still don't play any defense. Maryland's hit or miss. Right now, Wisconsin, they just won the Maui Invitational. They look like they're better than expectations, but we'll see if that's going to last throughout the Big Ten. Minnesota's outplaying expectations. Nebraska's underplaying expectations. So I had seven the floor, three the ceiling for Michigan State. I think it's five the floor now, two the ceiling. We both had the floor increase from like six, seven to five. I I will say the ceiling goes up to two for me. Not necessarily credit to Michigan State, though. I think it's more of a knock on the rest of the Big Ten. I think it's Purdue in the field now. Um, It's got to be. Michigan. There's no way. I don't think anybody is going to. Michigan's flawed enough probably to move them off the upper and echelon. That's, that's there's what, one team in the upper echelon right now, and it's the Boilermakers. Yeah, there's, and that's the reason the floor is two, because I think for two ed, could or, or be, the ceiling so, is two, sorry. because I think could be two. Michigan could be two. Ohio State, Wisconsin, Illinois. A lot of could teams still, could be two. That's why the ceiling is two for Michigan Maryland. State, is because anybody could be two right now. I, I like expect them to finish three. I think someone's going to be better than them most of the year, and it's going to be Purdue, somebody else, Michigan State, and then everybody. But, yeah, that's that's kind of where the temperature check is for me right now. Let's move forward. Wednesday night, East Lansing, Michigan, ACC Big Ten Challenge. Massive non-conference game. One of the bigger ones of the season for the Spartans. Michigan State, Louisville, 7 p.m., WDBM. You can catch Brendan and I on that call. The Cardinals this year are 5-1, and one, led by head coach Chris Mack, as usual. They're averaging 71.5 points per game, 199th in the country. They're only giving up 63.5 per game, a little bit better, 87th in the country. A quick look at some of their main contributors. The transfer guard from Florida, Noah Locke, leads the team with 13 points per game. Samuel Williamson, 
and Malik Williams each pitch in eight points per game. Dre Davis and Jalen Withers each pitch in seven points per game. Matt Cross pitches in seven points per game. It's a very balanced Louisville team. There are a lot of guys in this rotation. They pull four or five guys off the bench, and a lot of guys get involved with the scoring, similar to this Michigan State team. Not necessarily that one dominant guy yet, even though you can make an argument for a couple of them who can potentially be that guy. But the Cardinals, they do have that big-time transfer in Florida guard, Noah Locke. They have a very imposing force in the middle in former Michigan State recruit Malik Williams, who Tom Izzo went after pretty heavily when he was a uh, headed into his freshman year. He's 6'11", 245, a lot of size. He's going to cause problems inside. And like we mentioned, the Cardinals have a lot of depth as well. They're going to pull four or five guys off the bench, and it's going to be a physical contest because both these teams are going to go through bodies as they look for you know, a big non-conference win. This also is expected to be a track meet. Louisville loves to run. Obviously, Michigan State loves to run. Tom Izzo expects the game to be an up-and-down game. The Cardinals are off to a pretty brutal shooting start and rely mainly on their defense. Michigan State is off to a pretty brutal shooting start and relies mainly on its defense. Chris Mack, very seasoned coach. The Cardinals are going to be a very tough ask. This is going to be a heavyweight matchup. Two blue bloods. Two great head coaches, two deep rosters. Very excited for this game. Brendan, your keys. Well, kind of like I previewed a little bit earlier, it's going to come down to three-point shooting. Neither of these teams shoot it well. They both defend it pretty well. Um, They're both very similar shades of green and red uh, on this Ken Palm page for both of them. Um, I think Louisville's a little bit faster than Michigan State, not enough to garner any attention. I mean, these two teams are just both very similar statistically so far. Their play style, very similar. I think both of them, there's been a lot of teams that have gone small against Michigan State this year. They will not. They match up equally. I will say the advantage to Michigan State is the strength of schedule and the close games. Michigan State... Played close with Kansas in the first half. Played close with Baylor in the first half. Gutted out a win against Loyola. Gutted out a win against UConn. And thoroughly dominated Eastern and Western Michigan like they were supposed to. Louisville, on the other hand, has only played two teams in Ken Palm's top 100. That's Mississippi State and Maryland. Maryland, they beat by eight. Mississippi State, they pounded 72-58. to But they lost to Furman by 8. They only beat Southern by 12. They only beat Navy by 17. I mean, they, they were close with Detroit Mercy. They beat them by 7. Local program, Detroit yeah, Mercy. Detroit Antoine Mercy. Davis. Yeah. This is a Louisville team who just hasn't had the, the same non-conference schedule as Michigan State that kind of jumps out at you. You know, State's played two of the top, in my opinion, five teams in the country so far. UConn, I think, is going to be a top 15 team. I think they could Loyola, be a top 10 team by the time this season ends. Loyola Chicago is going to be probably a top, top 25, 25 team. team, you know. Um, Butler. Eastern might run fairly well in the MAC. Western, I mentioned I think this is in the Butler notes. I don't mind their team in the, in the Big East. I like their guard play a lot. They could be okay, top half. Mm, we'll see. You, get, you and Trent are a little more bullish on that yeah. than I am. I, I think you have a, a tendency to, if no matter who Michigan State plays, if they win, you expect that team to be good in the rest of their season. The Spartans are going to hope they're good for that uh, resume well, right, win. They right. want that to be a Q1. As it stands right uh, now, it's a Q1 hopefully win. Hopefully it stays a Q1. We'll see how, but I mean, the Big East is 
similar to the Big Ten every year, going to... I sound like Izzo. After every game, Izzo says, oh, hell of a team we just played. Right, really quality right. team. Which I think they're going to be great. Which he's supposed to say. Man, I'm but, becoming a coach. But, um, yeah, I think the Big East is going to cannibalize itself, as does the Big Ten this year. But, yeah, this Louisville team just hasn't had the same schedule as Michigan State. That's where I give Michigan State a little bit of an advantage, and that might be the deciding factor between two teams who are so very eerily matched. similar. But... You know, Samuel Williamson, Dre Davis, two very good guys for Louisville. Um, I think Michigan State's going to have – it's going to be an interesting matchup. You talked about how long Louisville is. Michigan State's pretty long, too. I mean, Gabe Brown, Max Christie, Marcus Bingham. I still just don't see a team who can really uh, – this, this Louisville team is much better scoring than – Michigan State, and they're actually a lot better defensively than I thought. They're 16th in the country in defensive efficiency. That might cause problems for Michigan State. But Michigan State's second in the country in it's defensive be a efficiency rock right now. Myself. And they have Marcus Bingham Jr. in the middle, who is 11th in the country right now, blocking almost a quarter of every shot that he sees. So that's a huge advantage for Michigan State. I think it's really going to come down to how much of a factor Bingham is holding down the paint against a bigger Louisville team. And then just whoever shoots the three better is going to win, I think. My keys, quickly, Michigan State needs to show off its fast break against that of the Cardinals. Louisville, Louisville, either way, they're going to want to get out and run a little bit. Michigan State's break has been pretty meh this year. It's had some flashes of being good. There's also been a lot of turnovers. This needs to be the game where Michigan State gets some buckets in, in, in the fast break and, and bests the Cardinals in that category and maybe scores off turnovers as well because that's something the Cardinals have a propensity to do as well. Number two, point guard play. I'd like this to be the game where Tyson Walker gets into double-figure scoring with six, seven assists. That would be good for him. A coming-out party would be what the doctor ordered for Michigan State, and I feel like he's on the cusp, especially with his play in Atlantis. You know what I want to see in this game? Joey Hauser, two mm. for five from three. Yes. That'd two be for perfect. five from three, Take eight points. And they're good shots as yeah. well. My last one, Marcus Bingham Jr., go win that matchup with Malik Williams. Malik Williams, a former Spartan recruited player, another seven, almost seven-footer, a little bit bigger in stature than Bingham, but hey, he hasn't backed down anybody yet this year. That's going to be a colossal matchup on the boards. That's probably the matchup I'm most excited to see. Go win that matchup, Marky. That 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 could win them the game. If Marcus Bingham Jr. wins that matchup, especially defensively inside, that probably will win Michigan State the game. Let's get into predictions. I'll I'll, I'll start. I got Michigan State winning a rock fight, seventy four seventy Spartans. I think Bingham has a big game. I think Tyson Walker may have a coming out party. I think that they get out. I I, I see them improving their fast break in this game, and all of a sudden those pieces start to come together a little bit more. I see more playing time for Julius Marble. Low scoring all the way through. I, I'm, I'm just salivating at, at this game. Defensive, gritty, length, rebounding. These two teams play like each other, and it's going to be a tight one. It's going to be a 74-70 Michigan State win. Look at, look at Trent, before we get to my prediction, look at Trent being a Michigan State slappy. 71. Here in the predictions. Brennan will go last. Trent's prediction is 71 63 Spartans. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. That's a big one. Michigan State. Look at that. He's got Michigan State putting the clamps down on defense. 63 points. Oh, baby. They've got. I love that. They've got the skill to do it. They've got the the stats to do it. We'll see if they can. Uh, ESPN's. You're up. um, uh, Whatever. 
why can't I think of the word? Sportsbook they use to put in their uh, predictor and stuff has Michigan State at minus five. Uh, I think Michigan wow. State is six five, points they're better. Getting f- wow, they're giving up five points. Yeah. I think Michigan State is six points better than Louisville. So I have Spartan 76-70. Both of these teams. All right, cover. A little, little cover, maybe yeah. a backdoor cover. Both, throws both of these teams good defensively. Um, I think even 70s might be a little high. This could be, you know, 70 to 64. I think just with how good they are defensively, how bad they are at shooting the three, I don't see both of them getting above 75. I'm honestly, as I'm saying this, liking my 76-70 prediction less. I'm going to stick with it. I still think Michigan State wins by six, but I don't know if it's in the 70s. It might be a UConn, a Loyola, Chicago game where we're in the 60s and 50s battling it out. We will revisit these Louisville predictions, obviously, on the next episode of Impact Is Own. But before the next episode, we have another game to preview. That will be this Saturday as the Spartans will play the Toledo Rockets at the Breslin Center, 5 p.m. Also, Catch that call on WDVM. A quick look at the Rockets this year. Off to a nice start, 6-1. and one. A very good offensive team, averaging 80 points, but they have not faced a true test yet this year. They're led by Ryan Rollins. He scores 20 points a game. A couple of wings for them, TJ Shoemate and Cedric Milner, average 15 points a game. They, can, they have five guys, double-figure scoring. They can really go score the basketball, and they're a good shooting team as well. Last season, the Rockets went 21-9 overall, 15-4 in conference play. That was good for first place in the MAC West. Toledo lost in the semifinals of the MAC Conference Tournament to Ohio, but that was an 87-70 battle against Jason Preston and a Bobcats team that would go on to defeat Virginia in last season's NCAA Tournament. The Rockets last season would go on to lose to Virginia in the first round of the NIT Tournament. They're off to a nice start this season. They're a high-flying scoring team. We'll get a couple of quick keys to victory in this one. I'll start. Fast start. The Toledo averages one year of experience. They are a young team. If the Spartans get off to a fast start in this game against Toledo Saturday, that could have put them out quickly with their youth and experience. Toledo has got some high-flying scoring wings. They have two wings that score 15 points per game. Malik Hall and Gabe Brown looking at you two to lock up those wings and set the tone defensively. And the Rockets, they have two guys who are 6'11". One of them plays barely and the other one is a true freshman and hasn't played yet this year so an extreme size advantage i think the five is going to be six a six seven they're going to play a, a, a someone at the five who's six seven so dominate the boards clean up the glass and that should lead to a victory anything additional brendan yeah this is a toledo team that i think is better than the numbers are going to say the numbers say they are horrible defensively. 251st uh, in adjusted efficiency, 233rd in effective field goal percent defense, 334th in the country out of 358 teams, I'll add, in forcing turnovers. 333rd in two-point percent defense, 351 in block percentage, 313 in steal percentage. They just don't do anything defensively. They stand there and let you do what you want. Offensively, they make up for it. I don't know if their offense makes up as well for their defense. They're 50th in the country in efficiency. They don't turn the ball over. Top 70 in that. They offensive rebound really well. Top 50 in that. Um, they don't shoot the three particularly well, and that's where I think they're really going to struggle to uh, do anything against Michigan State. And you talked about the uh, 
how young this team is, the experience. Very. You know, they lost a lot of players um, from last year. They had a really good year last year. I think they're going to have a good year this year uh, in the MAC. But their bench, they don't go very deep. They, they have seven freshmen and nine underclassmen. Yeah, they, wow. They are th- the 329th youngest team in college basketball. They are the 353rd team, as I said, out of 358. They in, don't have a senior either. In bench minutes, you know. And also, another thing, too, uh, where a lot of teams like Toledo can pick up a, a win in the non-conference against a Power 5 opponent all across the country is with size. Toledo does not have size. They average a height of 76.9 inches for 188th. Michigan State, on the other hand, is the 10th tallest team in the country at 78.7 average inches. So I think this is a pretty easy win for Michigan State. I think Toledo's offense keeps it a little bit closer than the numbers are going to say. So I think it's a seven-point win for Michigan State, 85-75. That's a, a tight one. So you think the uh, the Did I Rockets, just say seven-point win? I meant 10. The Rockets' offense is going to keep them in this one. Yeah. But like you said, they're pretty flawed defensively. I, I like mean, that. I mean, prediction. I think it's going to be 85 75. I yeah. think it's going to be 45 35 at half and kind of stay that way. I've got the Spartans winning this one by a little bit wider of a margin 19 points and 87 to 69 victory for Michigan State. I think that Toledo's offense keeps them in this game for the majority of the game, but I think Michigan State pulls away in the end. Their defense is very flawed, and I see the Spartans taking advantage of that. And Trent really sees the Spartans taking advantage of that. He has the Spartans winning 91-74, to which is closer than my margin of victory. But he says, quote, on the show sheet, respect to the Mac. If there is not a bigger guy out there who loves the Mac than our very own Trent Valley. Trent Valley. So there are the predictions. All of us have a win against Louisville. The Mac and Master. He is the Mac Master. We got the Ken Palm Don. We got the Mac Master. We got everybody here. We all predicted wins against Louisville. And we all predicted games against Toledo. So we've broken down the battle for Atlantis. We have predicted the upcoming schedule. And now it is time for a recurring segment of this podcast, which last year was called the four-point play with Brendan Shabath. Your quick four-point look around the world of college basketball. Now we've decided to change it up a little bit. There's a brand new game, or there's a brand new name for this brand new game segment of our podcast what is that uh, brand new name of this segment? The new name, drumroll please, if we had a soundboard, is College Basketball Bonanza. College Basketball Bonanza, baby. It, w- it went from four-point play in which we, CBB. we reviewed two games in the past and previewed two games coming up, and I realized last year that led to a lot of Big 12 basketball talk because not the ACC. all of those teams were ranked last year. And we were always talking about them because it was always a game to watch, whether it was Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, West Virginia, Baylor, Kansas, you know, back and forth in the Big 12. It was so much fun last year. This year, not quite. There is no uh, deciding uh, de facto best conference in the country right now, except the WCC. They're 11-3 and against Ken Palm Top 100. Shout out to St. Mary's. Best conference record right now against Ken Palm Top 100. But... Nonetheless, new college basketball bonanza. Just taking a look around the world of college basketball. Uh, we're going to talk about anything and everything. Basically, basically, just whatever I want. Top teams in the country. Once we get to March, we'll do a little bit of uh, shabracketology. Um, you know, go around the league. Obviously, 
We kind of stay away from Michigan. We stay away from Michigan State here because the other 95% of this podcast is dedicated to the Spartans and they get enough love. So let's look around the league a little bit. Uh, We're going to start with the main headline right now after the uh, Thanksgiving week, the fantastic week of college basketball that we uh, mentioned a little bit earlier. Uh, This is one of my favorite times of the year for college basketball, obviously other than March, because of three fantastic letters, and those are M. T and E, multi-team events, the Fort Myers Invitational, the Battle for Atlantis, the Jimmy V Classic, the Maui, the Big Ten ACC Challenge, the Big 12 SEC Challenge, blah, 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 blah. There's a bunch of them right now. If you're a group of five team, you're going to be in an MTE. If you're a power five team, you're going to be in an MTE. Everybody All from of these, Central Michigan there's, to Pepperdine. There's to... measuring sticks and litmus tests left and right Good around Lord. the country, and it's awesome. Um, and there was a lot to watch. Um, a thing to note, 11 of the last 12 NCAA champions won the multi-team event that they were in at the start of the year. Looking at you, Baylor. For example, Baylor won the Jimmy V. Baylor wins the Battle for Atlantis this year. The one that I really, the, the multi-team event that sticks out to me that goes along with that stat is the brand new, ready for this mouthful, Cheez-It Hall of Fame tip-off. I think Basketball Invitational is the full name of it. Cheez-It Tip-Off Invitational Basketball Tournament. Something like that. It's with Cheez-Its and Hall of Fame and basketball. And there's four teams in it this year. And Invitation. Yeah, it's an invite. This year it was all top 25 teams, uh, Purdue, Villanova, Tennessee, North Carolina. Um, North Carolina lost to, let me see uh, how it happened. I forget who played who first. Uh, North Carolina lost to Purdue in the first game, and uh, Tennessee lost to Villanova. So those two went against each other in the consolation game. That was a fun one to watch. And then the championship game, Purdue versus Villanova, number four versus number five. That could be an Elite Eight preview. That was fantastic to watch. Purdue had a second-half comeback, ended up winning that game by six. They looked every bit of the number two ranking that they have right now. Duke had a really big win against Gonzaga, who had a really big win against UCLA, who had a really big win against Villanova, who had a really big turn. Like it was just there was We're so much each that other went alive. on in college basketball. Baylor picked up some nice wins as we talked about. So that leads me to the big headline. We sleep in here. May. The big headline. Purdue had that huge tournament and uh, picked up a couple nice wins. They just picked up a dominating win against Florida State that we watched live here as we recorded this podcast in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Big Ten. As I speak, 3-0 and in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. You only need eight wins to clinch. Pretty interesting. Hey, maybe Anyways. the Spartans could do that Wednesday night. And now the other team we're watching, Duke, who's taking on the Buckeyes currently live here in the studio in the basement of Holden Hall here at Impact 89FM. Uh, the Blue Devils picked up arguably the win of the year against Gonzaga out there in Vegas in the Continental Tire Challenge. That was just those two teams playing against each other. I don't know why they called it the Continental Tire Challenge. Vegas was the college basketball home over Thanksgiving. Yeah, Everyone and their mother played Michigan went and played in Vegas and lost in that uh, MTE to Arizona. To an Arizona team that's very slept on. Better, yeah. And what do you you know? They got their new head coach, who was the associate head coach at Gonzaga. Yep. So it's almost like he came from a good program. Right. <laughs> Anyways, Duke is 7-0. and They're tied with Ohio State right now. Um, Purdue is also undefeated. Duke garnered that number one ranking in the AP Top 25 yesterday after beating Gonzaga. Purdue, number two. Uh, Luke, your thoughts between these two 
be number one. I honestly, like, just Duke is Duke, and this is a classic Duke team that's young, super raw, but by God, do they have so much talent. Paulo Boncaro is fantastic. You know, Wendell Moore is actually one of an older guys on this team. Jeremy Roach. They've got Williams down low. Trevor Keels Joey is, Baker. Trevor Keels is Derrick Henry in basketball shoes, you know? But Duke looks every bit the number one team, but also so does Purdue. Zach Eady is the leading scorer. Jaden Ivey is one of the best guards in college basketball. Travion Williams, who looked like possible preseason Big Ten player of the year candidate, is coming off the bench for Purdue, and he's fine with it. Like, he's cool with it. He's happy. They're winning games. Stefanovic is still knocking down a bunch of threes for them. And he's still there, too. It's a battle for number one between those two, and I think it's a tie right now. I think that this tie is going to be broken when the Ohio State Buckeyes knock off the Duke Blue Devils Tuesday night. Right now, it's 17-15 Blue Devils with just over 10 minutes remaining as we obviously record this late into the night on Tuesday night here in East Lansing. I think it's a Duke year. I've been very vocal about that with you and Trent. Obviously, it's Coach K's last season. I think that the stars are going to align and they're going to make a magical run when March comes around because, honestly, I don't have much analysis just beyond. I think the basketball gods up there are going to do Coach K a favor, and I think that they have the horses to pull it off this year, and they've played a tough schedule, so they're going to be battle-tested. Duke has my edge in terms of the long term. That's taking nothing away from Purdue. But you could see Purdue slide up into that number one spot. Big convincing win against Florida State. And I think uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes, who I infamously picked to be a top three team in the Big Ten in our first impact is own, I think they start that return to relevancy with a big upset win over the number one Blue Devils. That would be huge for them. This is an Ohio State team who is both a really bad and really good 4-2 and two team. Really bad in the fact that they beat Akron by they one. They have wins over Florida and Duke. Right. But, they, they, well, Seton Hall and Duke, they lost to Florida. Oh, but yes, right. Nevertheless, but, another good win. But they, they they beat Akron by a buzzer beating EJ Liddell layup. They only beat Niagara. Akron is not good in the MAC. They only beat Niagara by ten. Lose to a Xavier team. Predicted that one. Just saying. Lose to a decent Xavier team by six. He did. Beat Seton Hall by three in a game that Seton Hall had won. There's a really good win for them. Veteran Seton beating Hall team Seton Hall. Too. Seton Hall, a team who beat Michigan, is now in the top twenty-five. They're on the rise. Losing to a really good Florida team, who the, the thing Mike White about always that loss has is, going. Is Florida's a great team, and they hit a great shot at the buzzer to win that game. But also, I think Ohio State had that game won and should have won it. So this is going to be an interesting game for them against Duke. Um, might be a measuring stick game if they win it. We'll measuring see. stick game. We're gonna have to name this podcast because like the measuring because stick it's pod. in Columbus. Duke is actually projected by Ken Palm to lose by a point. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm excited to go home and watch the rest of it. But yeah, that leads me into uh, the other point of this college basketball bonanza. The Big Ten ACC Challenge is happening all this week. Started yesterday with a couple teams. Uh, as I mentioned, Big Ten currently sits at 3-0. and A couple games tonight, a couple games tomorrow. Uh, the ones to notice, Purdue, Florida State. Purdue took away the win there. OSU Duke happening live right now in the studio as we record this. Duke currently up five, nine and a half minutes to go in the first half there. MSU versus Louisville. We already talked ad nauseum about going on tomorrow. And then also on December 1st, the Tar Heels taking on the Wolverines. Two teams who I think are going to uh, land below their expectations this season, but two quality 
uh, teams year in and year out, college basketball powerhouses, perennial contenders. That's a game to watch for. I think I would like to watch that game just because there's, while both of those teams I think are going to be lower than in their expectations, they're both, I wouldn't be surprised if they dominate college basketball in the next three months and are a Final Four favorite once March hits. So watch that game to see maybe they meet each other in your bracket and then you have something to go back to to see what goes around comes how they around. match up. Yeah. So every game, every early season non conference game that you think, oh, whale of a matchup early season. Yeah. That'll be the one time it happens this year. Right. You never know. Uh, sticking with the talk of March, too. So uh, next point in college basketball bonanza, the way too early Final Four. Far too early. Are you ready, Luke? You've this got is, yours, I got mine. This garners criticism because of how early it is and because of how chalk it is, but it's the way too early, so I can't pick a Final Four sleeper yet. So the way too early Final Four, per Brendan Shabath, Purdue makes it in. I love their veteran C. That's not a word, but uh, they're old. We'll make it one. They're old and they're good and they're going to get in. Matt Painter's going to get it done this year. The reason he hasn't done it in years past is because he didn't have the skill. He's the coach to do it, and that's why Purdue has been good because they've been well coached, but they haven't had the raw skill. This year, they've got the coach, the skill, the shooting, the scheme, the age. Purdue makes their first Final Four. Gonzaga's going to get in. They're just way too good. Drew Timmy's possible player of the year. Chet Holmgren's possible freshman of the year. We know what Mark Few can do. Duke is going to do it this year. This is a classic Duke team to me that is young and very talented and obviously very good with Coach K at the helm. But I feel like a lot of times Duke has done that and then they've like lost in the Elite Eight of the Sweet Six team. You look at like Austin Rivers teams. You look at Jason Tatum teams. You look at Zion Williamson. They've been so good and they can't quite make it to that Final Four. I think Paolo Boncaro is good enough to do it. I think they are going to really like the experience of Wendell Moore and Jeremy Roach. I think Williams is going to be great down low. Trevor Keels, Joey Baker, we all talked about them already. A lot of depth. I think Duke gets there this year. The one sleeper-ish non-chalk team that I like, despite them having some losses to start this year already, is the Wildcats of Villanova. Coached by Jay Wright. They're two, you are such a Villanova guy. I love Villanova. And You've been a Villanova because, guy since the day I met you. It's because you. Jay Wright just has such a great scheme. Now, I will say Villanova's 4-2, and two, their only good loss. Colin or, Gillespie. Their only good win, I should say. Sorry. Is, yeah, Colin Gillespie's great you, you, player. You want to talk about experience. You want to talk about someone who's played in March, Colin Gillespie. But their only good win so far is, as I mentioned earlier, in the Cheese It Hall of Fame Basketball National Tip-Off Invitational Tournament, blah, blah, blah. Basketball uh, tournament. Was every, it, every word. Was against the uh, top 25 Tennessee Volunteers. Convincing win, too. 71-53. Wins over Mount St. Mary's, Howard, and LaSalle. That's, you know, write-offs for Villanova. But also, their 4-2, and two, their two losses this year are against, in my opinion, a top... I would say six team in UCLA. I'd put them in six in the country right now. And the number two slash one team in the country in the Purdue Boilermakers. So I think Villanova uh, is going to be kind of quiet on people's radar. They're going to lose in the Big East just because the Big East does that. It's the same way Purdue's— Such a great conference. Like, Purdue's going to lose to, like, Iowa or somebody this year, or, like, Maryland, a game they should win. And, They'll drop a game at the barn to Minnesota. Yeah, right, exactly. The, you know, Purdue's going to lose, end up losing three or four Big Ten games this year that people won't see coming. Same thing with Villanova. Same thing with Kansas in the Big 12 and Duke in the ACC. I don't think any team this year is going to run the table in their conference except Gonzaga. Um, so that's what I look for for Villanova, but I think that's going to be an advantage to them. I think it's going to be— uh, 
a quiet year for them as far as national attention, but I think they're going to sneak into the Final Four. And then my runner-up, my honorable mention, the fifth best team in the country right now, the Kansas Jayhawks. They look really good. They obviously had that upset loss to Dayton in whatever the ESPN events invitational, I think it was, in which they lost to Dayton and Bama lost to Iona. That that kind of tournament was headlined by Kansas and Bama. They were supposed to play each other in the final, and uh, I think ESPN the Iona was Gales. probably yeah, Crazy. Uh, Rick Pitino. Um, Don't call it a comeback. There, there's a name for you, but uh, yeah, I think ESPN was kind of punching the air that they didn't get Jayhawks and uh, tied in the final. But two good upset wins we got to watch. But yeah, I still think Kansas seeing them in person against Michigan State. Uh, they had other good wins this year. I think they're a really good team, and they're my runner-up for the Final Four right now. But it's Bill Self, so they're going to lose in like the round of 32. Correct. Or Sweet 16. We yeah. have some similarities. Luke, my, my you're quick, way too early Final Four. V- way too early. Way too early. Purdue, we have that similarity. Jaden Ivey, lottery pick. Sick. He'll be, Sick is the word. He, he will Jayden be Ivey. a lottery pick by this time next year. Purdue, check. Duke. Check. I already said my piece about them. The basketball gods are going to have a, a little powwow in mid-February, and 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 Duke is just going to take off. Paulo Boncaro, star power, another future lottery pick. They have the horses they need to make a Final Four run. This is where we differ a little bit. I have Kansas making the Final Four. This just feels like one of those years when Kansas does it. Bill Self, Christian Brown, Ochai Abaje, Dan McCormick. They're they're a deep team. I and mean, I, I Remy think, Martin, Joseph Yesufu. Yeah, they're very. Mitch Lightfoot is still there, and they have quality depth. They have as much talent as they've had in a long time. The guy that sticks out to me too for Kansas and why I kind of like them this year, and I'm in a little bit of agreement with you that this could be the year they do it, is because every year Kansas has had the big man and the point guard, and sometimes a second point guard. So it's been this year they Frank. Have- Mason, four different guards. Devontae Graham. Um, oh God, who else? Frank. Frank, Frank Mason. What I said. Frank Mason. Uh, there was another Selden, one. I'm, 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 Andre I'm Selden. On, yeah, they had uh, Andrew Wiggins was a wing for them. He was he was kind of a guard hybrid, and they had uh, Ben McElmore. He was great in college, um, but this team, their point guard, their go to guy who is a true point guard, uh, Dewan Wright, who doesn't turn the ball over passes the ball and doesn't score and I think that might be just what Kansas needs to Remy kinda, Martin play to off feed, the ball yeah, a little to bit to feed just get Remy buckets. Martin off the ball Ochai Abaje get it down low to McCormick Christian Brown can do his thing out there on the wing too Mitch Lenfield make and, two three pointers in the elite eight <laughs> and Wright doesn't have to take away shots from some of these guys they've got a lot of scores and a lot of weapons they don't need a point guard who can average 20 points per game so if Wright can just go out there and get 10 assists per game and one turnover and be the best assist to turnover ratio machine in the country Kansas might do it I agree I think they have the quality depth they need they have big play they have guard play and Bill Self he's good for a final four every now and again so where you have them being a quick runner-up I have them sneaking in and my final one Yes, the Baylor Bears. Scott Drew and company will cement themselves amongst college basketball's elite. A green blood. With a back-to-back Final Four appearance. They won it all last year. They're going back to the Final Four this year. That's how much I respect Coach Drew as a coach. It all starts on defense for them. They have depth. They play physical. I was extremely impressed with them when Michigan State played them last week. I think they really haven't lost a step. They've re- they've replaced some production that they lost. The the beat goes on for Baylor. 
more respect is going to be heaped on Coach Drew after they make a second consecutive Final Four, and we really start talking about them as a true blue blood. I think I I, I see where you're coming from. I. Not quite sure if I can get on that train, but I will say I won't be surprised if that's what happens. And uh, we're looking live here at results from the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Syracuse and Indiana went into double overtime, and Syracuse won on two free throws with 0.8 seconds left, 112-110 well, over the, the first, Mike Woodson coached Hoosiers. was the, the first, first double overtime win at home for the Orange since 1971, 50 wow. years ago exactly. The first ACC win in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Syracuse, who who coming <laughs> – this is so funny. Who Big coming, Ten is up 4-1. to one. Who, Shout out John Rothstein for this information. We Grab your nitroglycerin May. pills. Syracuse came into that game in their last four contests giving up – 85 points per game, and they got out a win over Indiana, but they still give up 110 points because it went into double overtime. Jim Beheim can't win. I was going to say, that's the most Jim Beheim game I yeah. think I've ever seen. Yeah. Mike Woodson, is this the beginning of the end? Matt Derry, Syracuse alum. Shout out. Friend of yes. the podcast. Yes. Oh, yes, Syracuse alum. Yeah. Matt Derry, friend of the program. John Eads, current Syracuse student. Shout out. Friend of the podcast. U of D grad. We love it. Uh, final point of college basketball bonanza. This has been a long one, but that's kind of the point of the new name and the new show this if year. If the is bonanza that, is not a long segment and we're that, doing it wrong. Is that I can do whatever the hell I want because it's college basketball bonanza, and we love the sport. Who doesn't sport. love college basketball? The last one's a quick one, though. Pay attention to the MAC this year, people. They're going to win one or two games in March. Look at Buffalo. They're really good. Ohio's the a quality at, team. Does the MAC get two tournament teams? Oh, they might get in that large. I think I think they need either Buffalo, um Toledo or Toledo to kind of like have four losses this year, which I don't know if that's going to happen. But just pay attention to whoever wins the MAC. Watch the MAC championship if you can. Watch Toledo um play Michigan State. Uh watch Buffalo if you get an opportunity. Buffalo, didn't they they played Michigan, right? Already? And weren't they? Yes, uh, and it was just a ten-point win for Michigan. Yeah, they hung. It was a, a yeah, and it was in Ann Arbor. Yeah, it was a close game. So watch out for Buffalo. They hung. Very quality squad. Um, and uh, yeah, respect to the Max. Shout out Trent. I was just gonna say you put action the, football, action basketball. You put this action bullet point in the now college basketball bonanza with Brennan Shabath simply because we love Trent Valley, the Mac Master. What did we say, Mac Master? Yeah. Mr. Mac, Mac Master. Either Mr. way. Mr. Mac. Either way, we, we miss you, Trent. We love Maction, though, so that's why we're including it in the college basketball bonanza. And when you come back, we'll we'll include it again. But uh, that concludes Impact is Own for this uh, Tuesday night, wherever you listen. You know, if, if this concludes your Wednesday morning, if you're drinking, if you're listening to this podcast over a cup of coffee or maybe your commute home on Wednesday pre-Louisville game, maybe you're on the way to the Breslin Center. Nevertheless, maybe, this— Maybe you're sitting in the stands at Breslin— Perhaps trying to understand what's going to happen in this game, and you're listening. Say hi to us on platform one thirteen one three. We Joey Ellis is going to visit us on platform one thirteen tomorrow. Let's go! I, I've never I have, met Joey this in person. Is, this is breaking awesome. news. This is breaking news because I haven't told you and Trent this yet. Yeah. But he is coming down from the UP to for the game because he lo- he loves college basketball. Joey's probably the next biggest college basketball fan behind myself. And he's going to visit us. WDBM alum, current we, sportscaster, former ESPN uh, production assistant. We might run into two WDBM. Uh, Joey was on the basketball beat, right? He covered a lot of hoops. So we might run into two former WDBM legends, former basketball Natalie reporters. Natalie Kerwin. In three 
if you had Natalie in a month because we run into Natalie everywhere. Yes. Because she's fantastic working for Channel 10. Oh, yes. Channel 10 right now. W-I-L-X. Luke's favorite local news station. Love that. Trent as well. Um, All of ours. You guys are huge Channel 10 fans. Huge. I just don't get enough of local news to take as I should. Trent does love Fox 47, though, That's true. He's a big Fox 47 guy. But, uh, yeah, so we're going to see Joey tomorrow. We see Natalie all the time. Check. And then possibly Michigan State's first Big Ten game of the year is at Minnesota. Our old boy Jay Mitch. Julian Mitchell is out there. The legendary. Near Minneapolis. He, you want to talk about a Don of impact, yes. the Godfather? Yes. That's Julian Mitchell. Yeah, he a legend in the in the he's in the flesh. Hopefully, we see him. The, in the man flesh. who got Jay Williams on this exact podcast on these airwaves. Yeah, airwaves, podcast waves, whatever waves. They're just sound waves. Never riding the wave. That was the Oakland days. Uh, riding the wave was the Oakland days. How do I want to put it? It was their rallying cry this past oh, season. Like a, they didn't make one the playoffs. Pride. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs. So I remember when I remember that. when the Tigers battled them like four years in a row. I hated the A's. So did I. And the, now and I, I could care ALDS less. All the time. I right. could care less now because we don't play them anymore. In Moneyball, so I kind of root for oh, them a little. Great bit. movie, fantastic. Anyways, tune in to our coverage from the Breslin Center for not only Wednesday's game against Louisville at 7 p.m. The Impact is own pregame show will start at 6:40, but also Saturday's game against Toledo, 5 p.m. Tip off Eastern Standard Time, four four or five. Yeah, pardon me. 445 the pregame show on WDBM Impact 89fm.org slash listen live or at 88.9 FM in the Lansing area. We will keep you updated on all things Michigan State men's hoops on next week's episode. We'll have Trent back, but there is a lot of great hoops ahead. Obviously, two great matchups here for Michigan State. The ACC Big Ten Challenge will conclude this week. And there is, it's just a great time to be alive, a great time to be a college basketball fan. You can find this podcast, Impact Is Own, anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, impact89fm.org slash sports. Or you can even look us up on the Impact app, impact89fm on the App Store or wherever you get your apps. You can follow us on Twitter, at WDBM Sports for the latest men's basketball updates here at Michigan State. But, Brendan, before we wrap things up, any final thoughts? We sleep in May. Grab your nitro nitroglycerin pills. Brendan just threw the mic aside. So Also, also actually, i got to add one more. If you yes, plan final on, thoughts. Also, shout out John Rothstein. If you plan on following college basketball possession by possession this year, contact your local cardiologist. I love it. We... We should get some matching Rothstein shirts for a podcast in the future. I I think that. I know Trent already has one because he's a big fan. We're all big fans. Maybe we'll add that to our Christmas list. I might have to do that when I get home today. Oh, one more. We, we should do an Impact His Own Secret Santa, and we all just end up getting each other the same Rothstein shirt. I would not mind that. We could we could match. A Secret Santa between three people. A Secret Santa, but we all know what, what gifts we're giving and right. who's giving them to us. Nevertheless. We don't even have to wrap them. We have the Christmas spirit here on the Impact His Own podcast, and the gift we're getting from Santa Claus this year is a hell of a lot of good college basketball, starting with tomorrow night. We will see you next week here on Impact His Own. After a couple of great tests for Michigan State, Louisville, and Toledo, we will see you next time.